Once again, this episode of Ego Check with the IDM is brought to you by RPG Research. RPG Research is a 501c3 research and human services, non-profit, charitable, 100% volunteer-run organization. They provide music and role-playing game research and using collaborative music and games to help people improve their functioning and quality of life. They serve a wide variety of individuals, including those with ADHD, anxiety, individuals along the autism spectrum, and other at-risk populations, including people with brain injuries, depression, impulse control, and others in need of social skills development. You can find more information about RPG Research at rpgresearch.com. And if you're interested to learn more about the organization, I had previously interviewed Hawk Robinson, the gentleman who runs rpgresearch.com, back in January 2017 on this podcast. So go back in time and check out our conversation. Welcome to another episode of Ego Check with the IDM. I'm your host, Michael Mallon, and joining me this week is Jason Massey. You may know him uh, from the Dungeons and Randomness podcast, which has been going on, I think, for seven years now. Is that correct? Yep, seven years. Excellent. And so I believe you have over, well over 200 episodes. Uh, you have a very <laughs> successful uh, Patreon campaign with over, well, approximately 450 patrons. You have a Kickstarter campaign that, that's winding down now, a uh, successful Kickstarter campaign on your campaign setting, Theria, for the podcast that you run. So yep. congratulations on that. I'm excited to talk about all this. Welcome thank to you. the show. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me again. Yeah, so you are – the Dungeons and Randomness is your full-time job. That, yes. That is what you do. I believe there's three different shows all in, based in the same world. And what is that like to balance, to structure <laughs> and figure out how to use your time? Well, we do it. I don't know if I balance anything. <laughs> um, balance I mean, might be out the window, but but it's happening. Yeah, it's 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 getting done. Yeah, uh, me and uh, me and my partner Bree, uh, we work on this every single day. We're we're super lucky to to get a chance to do that. Uh, DNR is obviously our bread and butter, but we have a couple of other shows that we do um, more for. I, I'd say it's a little more for fun to kind of blow off steam. But um, yeah, the DNR podcast has been going for seven years. We put out an episode every Monday. We very rarely take time off, and then. There's a bunch of Patreon shows we do, too. So every day we're either working on something or getting or we're kind of prepping to do something like I'm, I'm recording a session right after this. Yes, we were just talking ahead of the show of making sure we wrap this up in plenty of time so you can get to your game. We're fine. Yeah, I, I told everybody uh, we usually sit and uh, talk for like an hour anyway, because that's the time we usually get to catch up because everybody has kids and jobs and stuff. Oh, so. yeah. Ease into the session. Oh, yeah. Especially heavy ones. Tonight's going to be heavy. Oh, boy. Okay. So how long does it take to go from recording to putting something out as a podcast episode? How much work is on the back end for for you and the team? Um, Usually we do two to three hour sessions, uh, depending, and... 
I've I've been doing the podcasting thing for about ten years, so I've gotten pretty good as long as it's not sitting in the can uh, too long. If if I could edit the session the next day, that is that is prime. That's awesome because my memory's terrible otherwise, <laughs> and I have to listen to the entire audio and get a feel for it all over again. But um, between just taking out ums and, you know, uh, background noise and all that stuff, and then just jotting down notes for, you know, effects, music, all that, it usually takes around uh, six to ten hours, somewhere in there. Wow, it's a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, it's we know what we want it to sound like. And some episodes are a little more difficult if like we live next to an airport, which is terrible. And I didn't know that until I moved. <laughs> but uh, we get airplanes and there might be a mariachi band outside or there might be who knows what. But, yeah, we kind of have to record around those things and then edit around those things. See, the airplanes give you an opportunity when one goes off. It's like it should just be some type of random effect. Like, oh, there it is again. Yeah. <laughs> Roll on the table and see what happens. <laughs> dragons in our world sound like airplanes exactly <laughs> yeah up oh, there's another one flying overhead get down duck and cover <laughs> so going back to the beginning how long have you been playing role-playing games um this is the thing that everyone is kind of shocked to hear episode one was my first time playing i've, I've never played the, any role-playing game before besides uh like Baldur's Gate and uh, like video game RPGs. I've never played a tabletop RPG. I, I grew up in Jersey and I always wanted to. I just didn't have real close friends and hobby shops weren't a huge thing around there. So uh, in 2012, that was the first time I had a chance. Uh, I asked my friends at the time and they said, yeah, if you run it and you prep it and you DM it, sure, we'll give it a shot. Um, so I, I've just been DMing ever since. I loved it. I, I, Got really greedy, couldn't get enough, started several other groups. <laughs> yeah, I saw that in another interview as I was getting ready for our, our talk here this evening, that one of the reasons that there, you have such a big cast of characters is you wanted to you wanted to play more often. So yep. started to run more games and it, it sort of took off from there. Yeah, pure greed. Uh it was it was one of those things I, I got instantly hooked and um it was almost a feeling of regret, like, man, I could have been doing this for years. And I just I, I just ran with it. I wanted to play every week. And the campaign started during the fourth edition D&D days, as I understand yeah. it. Which yep, is when, also when I got back into the game and I really love fourth edition. I've talked about that before with several guests on, on the podcast before. But and again, other discussions we've had and i've seen inter interviews you've given talk about 4e gets a little unwieldy the more you advance into it yeah i don't have the same hatred that i think a lot of people do uh nor do i, I to be very clear right yeah uh brie brie loved fourth edition because it was very rule specific mm -hmm. um whereas 5e leaves a little bit to the dm's discretion or imagination uh 4e was very lengthy in its power usage and everything like that. I it, the only thing I didn't uh, enjoy so much about Fourth E was status effects. When you have you know five or six level twelve characters and you have this big boss fight planned, and our so we decided to kick off. We realized we were almost two hundred episodes deep, wow. and it's impenetrable for new listeners. It was impossible for anyone new 
to it's like well you just listen to 400 hours of the show and you'll catch up just go it's, just commute a lot exactly yeah i i always hearken it to oh i really like thor where should i start it's like oh 1964 i'll just pick up thor number one and read everything uh so what we decided to do was start a second arc and that would be when we would transition to 5e and all that we had a big battle at the end of you know arc two it was episode two or arc one episode 200 that battle took us uh four to six hours to record just the fight oh yeah i believe it because it's insane it's just there's so many status effects and races and all that and it just it gets really tough yeah and i was i'm curious about that as you've been recording these podcasts and i remember listening to the penny arcade podcast back in the day <laughs> And a similar story where the multiple episodes would be one combat. So you listen yeah. to a 45 minute episode and that was a round or two. Then you listen to the next episode and it was like rounds three and four. And yeah. The third episode would, would finish up the combat, which was fun. It was entertaining. But as someone who's not only running a game and then trying to produce and release these podcasts, what was that like? I mean, you talked clearly about the challenges there, but from a podcast point of view, how did that get to be challenging? Uh, well, when we first started, I, I we didn't have those problems. Uh, we were very much learning how to play the game and and figuring things out. But there were a couple of rules we came up with. I, I wanted to stick to very early on. Uh, one is if someone couldn't make the session, we don't play. Okay. We, we we always wait for each other. So that can be that can be tough. There's an airplane. There we go. <laughs> uh, duck and cover. Dragons are coming. Yes. <laughs> so that that can make things challenging. But I I'm glad we stuck by that. And the other thing was we I don't like to split up combat. If mm. combat is a majority of the episode, that's just the way the episode fell. But. I don't I think I've done it one time where I stopped the session because it was just too late and it could have been that season finale. I can't remember. But um, when it's when it's midnight, one o'clock and we're all just punchy and it's not it, it's go, it's only going to get worse Then it's like, OK, let's put a pin in this and come back. Right. But that's super rare. And I still make it part of one episode. I don't like to split it up because I I find that really disorienting just for me. I I think. As a listener, you're already a little disconnected because you're not seeing these physical representations. If you're playing with a map, if you're playing with minis, uh, you're not seeing all the numbers. You're just hearing these. So even if there's a week between episodes, I, I, I found that really difficult to keep track of. It's like, OK, wait, where were we? We're on round six. Right. OK. And it's, it's really tough to to kind of get back into that space. Yeah, it reminded me of my fourth edition days where I would play pretty much weekly and alternate between a campaign I was running and a different campaign that uh, a friend of mine was running. And on the weeks where he was DMing, we would start at his house, usually four in the afternoon, play for a few hours, take a break for dinner, come back, and sometimes play till about two or three in the morning. Oh, wow. And sometimes it was a combat or two. <laughs> it was, it was uh, really long into the night. I remember like just listening to you talking about kind of being bleary eyed, a little punchy when it's past 1am and you're trying to figure out status effects and what actions do I use? And everyone's tired. It's, it's good times. 
Yeah, I, it, I really enjoyed that edition, but yeah, the, the there was good and bad, certainly. Is there something you truly miss from fourth edition going into fifth? You know, I the tactile nature of it, even as a player having the cards, and I got all nerdy, like I put them in sleeves, and oh I had, yeah, I had them organized by the. I had green sleeves for the at-will powers, and I had red sleeves for the encounter <laughs> powers, and I had gold sleeves for the dailies. So I totally had – I was there cycling through my cards, wondering what I was going to do next. So I, I liked that part of it. I think it was just cleaner to play and also cleaner to run as a DM. Right. And it, managing monsters. I was just thinking about this recently as I was – finishing up because I've been going through tales of the yawning portal with my group and it's the sunless citadel. So, you know, kind of a clear dungeon delve, but you need multiple books to keep track of the monsters. Yeah. And then you need another book to look at spells. So I ended up just taking a lot of uh, pictures with my phone of different creatures and stat blocks. So I wasn't paging through everything. Right. And even that was a little un, unwieldy. So I missed the stat blocks. I missed the design elements, designing encounters from 4E. So I wish that was a little bit cleaner. What, what if anything, do you miss from 4th edition? I think there were some good ideas that were kind of abandoned. I, I, the powers, I was a little, when we were going in uh, to 5E, I was a little, um, I was a little worried about classes like fighter uh getting left behind because right. you have you have all these spellcasters who have named spells and all of them have different effects and and damage values and i felt like fighters were just gonna i cast hit dude and i'm just gonna <laughs> i i, I kind of thought that that would get old but it's it's really not it's all in the description of how you're pivoting and swinging and all that skill check challenges uh i really got attached to in 4e and i used them a ton so i kind of adapted that to 5e and just changed things here and there but okay i i always had a really fun time with that um and when it comes up when it comes up in a session it's kind of a minor event it's like uh oh here we go and it, it builds tension without it necessarily being a life or death situation it just it's like oh you're gonna wake up the guard if you don't sneak through here here and here you know it it just reminds me of the one player in my group who was a dwarf and had a really high dungeoneering score. It just really never came up. So I was like, can I do anything with dungeoneering here? I was like, can you? He's like, no, I can't. No. <laughs> and it was just an ongoing joke for months. He's like, I'm going to check do dungeoneering. I was like, you're in a forest right now. And I tried to give, <laughs> give him situations where it made sense. Uh, right. It was like one of those skills that just never really came into play, and it, it just became a running joke in, in the group. Yeah, I think the skill challenges could be fun. They could just turn into a die-rolling slog fest. It, it depends on how you yeah. run it. Again, it's it's the same thing with fighters, where if yeah. you're if you're just like I'm going to swing my sword, if you it's like no, I'm going to you know swing downward and try to you know without being too verbose about it, you can have fun with it. Absolutely. And so, what about fifth edition? On the flip side, what what about fifth edition have you really enjoyed since making the switch over? Oh man, I I really like how light and breezy things feel. Four uh, E uh, was very clear about its rules, and I agreed with a lot of I, I of course every every 
person who runs an edition of D&D, you homebrew the crap out of it. Sure. Um, but I, I really liked the vibe of it. It, it kind of felt more like an MMO at times. Um, but with 5e, uh, things like getting a sword matters. Things like getting attached to your equipment. I had to come up with home rules uh, for weapons leveling up with players. And I reasoned it away uh, as, oh, well, you just get a feel for it. So in 4e, you you know, it's pretty much like Diablo. Like every other level, you're getting rid of that really cool sword or axe you found because the next big sword or axe is that you need, you need to keep those numbers rising. And oh, yeah. I think 5e does a much better job of keeping everything relative uh, so that uh, battles aren't a war of attrition. Uh, if you go back to 4e, most monsters are just hit point sponges because they need to be because the damage output by some of the parties, even at level four or five, are ridiculous. And it, those numbers kind of got out of whack as the numbers, uh, the, the levels go up. So I definitely think 5e does a better job at balancing stuff like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely enjoying it. I, I, the main thing for me is I don't have nearly the same amount of time that I had in the fourth edition days. Now I have a child and oh, there's less there's less hobby time. Uh, so instead of playing once a week, it's playing once, maybe twice a month, which is just a different pace to things. Yeah. And you don't want to waste time when you're in a situation like that. So you don't necessarily want to explore new features or content. You just kind of want to sit down and like, okay, let's go. I only got, how old's your kid, by the way? He is a little over two. Okay. He is very much the toddler and keeping us on our toes. And he's he's joke around. He's like the velociraptor stage of development where (laughs) it's like every day and a half. It's like, Oh, clever girl. (laughs) (laughs) So, Definitely does not understand D and D time yet. No, not no. But I do have a, a table that I that I built years ago that I knew I just didn't have the space or the income to afford a blown out gaming table that I wanted to get. So I, I was like, well, what can I do? And I took this old Target table and decoupaged it with old module covers and maps and pages from a module, and I didn't rip up the modules i there were photocopies or printouts which when i showed people pictures they were horrified they're like oh my goodness you cut up modules <laughs> and i had to clarify i was like no no i'm not a heathen i just they're they're photocopies settle down uh no modules were harmed in the making of this table so it's all like the like first second edition like modules and so my son will climb up there on a chair and he's like monster monster yeah <laughs> He's not really upset about it, but he just points it out. It's like, yeah, that's that's a monster. Soon you'll be rolling dice about them, but we'll get to that later. (laughs) So when did this go from a hobby and an interest to, hey, let me make this a career or let me try to run at that direction? Was that right away or did that develop over time? Oh, God, no. No, that wasn't right away because first – I guess I had to figure out, wow, I really like this. And right about the time, there's a third group starting, and it's on the same world, and it's keeping track of everything. And there were a lot of things people expressed, like, oh, don't you get sick of DMing? Or, oh, don't you get sick of keeping track of all this? Or, is that hard? I didn't find it that hard. I thought 
I I don't think I like being a player. Honestly, I've only been a player once or twice, but I would much rather be a DM. I have terrible control issues, so that's that, that was always just a huge blast to me. And I I, I found out uh, that wasn't going away a year and a half, two years in, and right about the time the third group started, people knew I wasn't very happy in my home state and. They they wanted to get me out of there basically, and I I had showed interest in moving, and it looked like a thing that we could do. So I came up with a number that I thought would be a reasonable um, foot in the door. Like this would be a good start. This would allow me to move and have a little bit of a nest egg, and if I can make a career out of this, we're going to give it a shot. And if not, then I'll go work at Target or something. Um, and that was our first Kickstarter. That was in 2014. Okay. And I was trying to raise twenty thousand dollars. We ended up raising twenty five. And even from the very beginning, our listenership has been so supportive and amazing. And we try to include them in as much of our personal lives as possible, just to kind of take them along on the journey. Mm-hmm. Like I, I filmed the whole move. We did, you know, I and just did check ins on the road and stuff, but. Ever since then, we've just been we've just been doing this every day. And it does sound like, as you were describing it earlier, a seven day a week thing. Oh, yeah. Well, we try to take a day off here and there. We've been better about that recently, but it's you don't really get a day off day. There's no if you're working at a factory or like Target, something like that, when you clock out. Most people that you're, you're not worried about the welfare of the store, really. You're clocking out. Your shift is over. That's someone else's shift now. They can worry about things for a while. If you own the business, you're kind of always a little plugged in, especially during this Kickstarter. It's it's impossible to just walk away and not think about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm pretty much always all times of day and night answering emails and messages. And we have a discord that's, um, that's really active and yeah, I, I, I try to stay as plugged in as possible. Well, and running this, or really any business on your own and talk with other you know, content creators about, about this idea of if you're not working, then you're not getting paid <laughs> kind of yeah. in some ways where you know, especially if you have an audience, you you can constantly be doing things to cultivate that audience, to keep delivering content, stay relevant, stay engaged, keep people interested. It it does seem as as an outsider to create the opportunity for burnout. And yes, like you said, at a, at a job, whether it be Target or wh- whatever career you happen to be in, that you get to leave the office and get to come home. Yeah. And, you know, home is more of a place away from work. If you're working from home or your business that you're running is is in your house, then Mm -hmm. I think those boundaries become a little bit more murky. Yeah. And to give you so to give you an idea, um, please. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think this is a normal uh, a normal situation, but I I think people working from home and being content creators is becoming far more normal than it was say four or five years ago. When we first got started, we were some of the first people on Patreon and that was not a well-known thing at the time. You cut to four or five years later, everyone has a Patreon. Everyone knows about Patreon, but yeah, I, uh, so 
I live with my fiance and my, my best friend, my partner, Bree, and I'm in her bedroom right now. This used to be my office, and then she moved in. We're out of space, so it's a two-bedroom place. So um, me and my fiancé have a room. She has a room. And during work hours, this is also our office. <laughs> so that that gives you an idea of how how close quarters everything is. It, like, the commute is 10 feet. <laughs> the boundaries are potentially blurred, yes. Absolutely. And we've had many discussions about it. We, we want to move, and we want to – but obviously – in California, that is a – it's a thing you got to plan out because the difference in rent can be hundreds and hundreds of dollars. So with all this work that you're doing, it – because I wanted to get into the current Kickstarter that, that you have running. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like the, the podcast – like when, when did you decide to create your own campaign setting as opposed to running what was published? Uh, well, that kind of started in episode one too. Okay. By accident. I was uh, we were running uh, Keeping the Shadowfell and it was it was fun, but I kind of got a little bored because my job, it was a great it was a great handbook for jumping in because you have all your your monster stat blocks. You have, oh, what here's what's in the next room and all that stuff. And that was super helpful. But I got a little bored because I didn't feel like I was contributing. I didn't feel like I was doing anything beyond Hmm, flipping a page, and reading it out. So I just I started throwing in my own stuff. And I think I don't know, by 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 the time they hit the first uh, city, we I I just started changing stuff. And, you know, I kind of wanted to get off those rails and do something new. So, yeah, I'd say solidly by episode two or three, we're we're completely out of that. With DMing, what is the thing you enjoy the most? I love I love two things. I love taking a character decision and sitting on it for potentially years. (laughs) And then one day playing the long game. Oh, God, yes, because I'm here's the thing. Everybody on the show is my friend. Like, we're all friends. They're not going anywhere. I want to – I like, I have all the time in the world in my head, so it might be two or three years, but something that they've done in the past is going to come back. And not, not necessarily in a bad way. It's not an evil DM thing. It's more like, oh, do you remember that kid you interacted with two, three years ago? Well, guess what? And there's – you know, some kind of payoff to that. I, I love knowing a character's backstory and then feeding them little, um, little dribbles of something that would help them interact with the group in a new way and, and, and flesh that character out. That's awesome to, cause it's all a big collaborative story we're telling together. So each person is bringing a brand new layer of stuff and to watch them interact with each other and have these characters become real is it's it, I can't even describe that feeling. It's amazing. That's awesome. And what's the second thing? The second thing for me is getting a reaction out of players, whether that whether that's, you know, oh, wow, that's awesome. Or I hate you. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's the same thing for listeners. It's making them feel something because I feel like that's that's kind of rare. It's it's hard. It's it's these are at the end of the day. If you boil it down to brass tacks, it is numbers on a page. But to make people think of these numbers on a page as characters, as people, as this, this if they're all in this world, and this world is a living, breathing thing. I care just as much about all of this 
as our listeners do. So I want them to feel like these things matter. Decisions matter. Consequences matter. And to make people forget themselves for a minute and them being on the bus ride to work and just shout or laugh or cheer. We get emails like that. And that is as the best feeling, man. Yeah, I that, love it. So that's much. awesome. Well, and for folks listening, I think there's a lot of people out there running games, always mm-hmm. looking for, for tips. There's, there's a ton of useful information, both in the published material and a lot of other folks on social media who are, you know, writing manuals or, you know, Oh, totally giving out do's and don'ts, so to speak at the table, this idea of engaging players and getting them to connect with their characters, you know, that's something that I really tr- strive to work on. I think from from my background, just you talked about it, it's numbers on a page. To me, it's it's people sitting around talking to each other. Yeah, that that's the game. And how do you make that really engaging, really effective? So what what are things you do to pull that out? and bring it into the session? Um, I always tell people, listen to your players. And again, these are, these are our friends, but easier said than done. Yeah, it it is. Cause it's, it's, it's a skill like anything else you have to work on. It's just like improving. It's just like, um, it's just like DMing in general. It's, it's, it's a muscle you have to flex and get better at over time. But Paying attention to sounds your players make, what interests them, what, uh, what 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 they choose to interact with and how they do that and kind of file that away and remember that kind of stuff. So you can either reincorporate it or maybe toss them a softball at some point. But it's your players will always let you know what they're interested in time and time again. They, they, they always will. Um, if they're if they're checked out, you should be able to kind of sense that. Uh, if they're really engaged, you should be able to sense that too. And I, I think there's a game of hotter, colder, uh, that is constantly right. at place. And just realize that it's a story you're all telling together. I see a lot of DMs who are worried about quote unquote, their story getting messed up by players. That is not the mentality that you want to walk into, you know, a collaborative game with. Cause if that's the experience you're after, that's like, I don't know, that's like playing video games with your little brother or sister, but not letting them touch the controller. You, they, you just watch me play like it's 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 a it's a single player thing. You're you doing can watch me walk around and play Skyrim and exactly you know, chime in from time to time. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a collaborative thing. So you're all working to tell the story, make make the world feel like it's a place where players have agency, where they can change things. It's malleable. You can interact with it and it'll interact with them back. It's not, there are no invisible walls. There are no uh, predefined characters that will never change based on a character's interaction with them. So, you know, all these character interactions, all the different encounters you're having over these, these episodes mm-hmm. in, in Theria, the, this world that you're, you're creating, when did it, or when did you start to collect all these names and characters and like, keep track of everything? How did you go about doing that? Uh, I'm, um, again, I have a bad memory. I remember things that happened in Theria 
more than Earth, I think. Um, we have a At Google the moment, calendar. that seems to be a very useful skill for you. <laughs> yes. If I ever lost this job for some reason, I am screwed. Right. Like I, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, 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 we, Bree has been amazing at helping me kind of update the way that I file things away and keep track of things. I used to just have post-its all over my desk and that was my organization system. There's a filing cabinet sitting next to me. Now there are folders. There are, we keep track of things in a much more, um, you know, defined organized way. And, I did I, I did write everything down at one point because I was always afraid that a player would point to you, you mentioned Skyrim. So point to the mountain. It's like, I'm going to go there. And I was always afraid of giving them the answer. Oh, I haven't I haven't written the mountain yet. You can't go to the mountain. That's DLC. It's coming later. I never wanted to do that. So I just started writing down everything so that I'd always have something for a player to do if they chose to go off the beaten track. And then how did you go about organizing it? You mentioned like a file cabinet. Did it become electronic at some point? There's most of it is electronic because uh, it's 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 all kind of in my head. And then uh, having a map. Oh, man, that was super. We hit up a cartographer years ago and got our first map going. Nice. Uh, and that helped so much because being able to. I can describe to you how far apart cities are and where they are. But for me to just give a handout to all the players, it's like, here's the map. Yeah. <laughs> here's where Being you are. Visualize things is so huge. It's so it, but it's, it's also kind of expensive. It's not something that just anyone, cause I've never been good at using cartography software. There's a bunch of, there's a bunch of different stuff available. I've, I've never been good at any of that stuff or Photoshop or, or any of that. I have not an artistic bone in my body. It's like, I still use like Microsoft paint to make things. It's like back <sighs> in the stone ages is where I'm at with that stuff. I actually, we, uh, we had to send references to artists for the, the pitch we made for Kickstarter. Sure. And I busted out my MS paint and <laughs> I it's don't. crude but effective. It's so terrible. <laughs> I, we have three people working. It's it's myself, Bree, and Jameson uh, from the show, and we have this Discord server. And Jameson was dealing with the artist, and I'm like, hand them this, I guess. Uh, and I knew it was coming, and they just laughed at, relentlessly. And and it's still something that cracks Jameson up to this day. That's fantastic. But you got to do what you got to do with the tools yeah. you have available. And and now what are the tools you use to to run prepare these sessions? How do you, how do you go about getting your quote-unquote game face on? Uh well, we use Fantasy Grounds to play cuz the whole cast is uh, scattered uh all over the US. Okay. And um I have a ton of notebooks. Uh, I try to jot down everything uh, before a session that I might use or might come back to. And then all the player decisions and stuff, I, I jot that down too. So that, you know, you know, six, 10, 12 months down the line, I could bust out the, uh, the notebooks, which are all divided by group and date and all that stuff. So I, I jot it all down. So it's like, okay, I, I think that was like January of last year and I could look it up and just have it. Cause there, it, I don't care how good you think your memory is. You have five or six players 
all making independent decisions and you're playing for you know years, you're not going to remember everything. So it's good to jot as much of that down as possible. Other than that, man, I look at it like sitting down to hang out with my friends. Go so usually it's it's game night. It's it's we spend the first hour, like I said, hanging out and just shooting the breeze, and uh, then we kind of there's a point where we're like, okay, let's do this. We we just feel feel it out. Okay. And so the the Kickstarter here for the campaign guide uh, for Theria. Mm-hmm. Um, has a few days left once this uh, is uh, available to everyone. So people mm-hmm. still have an opportunity to, to get get the book. What's going to be in it? What what can people expect to see? Oh, baby. So, okay. <laughs> so there's, there's a softball for you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. So I think we can agree that while there's a ton of, of wonderful uh, you know, products and content on things like DMs Guild and EN World. And, you know, people are putting out stuff day after day. It's all amazing. I, I'm pretty sure we could all agree the benchmark for most people is the Wizards of the Coast stuff right now. That's that's kind of what people look to. It's the official material. Like, they, they churn out pretty good-looking books most of the time. We wanted to make something that could sit side-by-side side on a shelf with a wizard's book, but not look anything like a wizard's book. Basically, um, we are doing one. It, it, so we're covering Alara, which has been the main uh, continent on the show thus far for the last six, seven years. We've been other places, but I think this was just the logical place to start. So there are over twenty towns and cities completely. Uh, fleshed out. There are cities for uh, that. The, there are city maps for three of the major cities. And as we unlock stretch goals, we're doing more. Okay. There are going to be over 200 NPCs in the book. It's probably more like 260 um, with stat blocks, backstories, character art from for a good chunk of them. Uh, I think we're up to 70 pieces of art for NPCs. Nice. We are throwing pretty much any interesting mechanic that I've come up with over the years that have take, taken uh, part in the show. We have that uh, labeled out. We're doing a history section. There's a timeline. There, Every possible tool you could need, we're, we're throwing everything in the kitchen sink at it and handing it to players and essentially saying, hey, you tell a story in our world. Tell us all about it. Here's everything you would need. And what's an example of an interesting mechanic that's included in there? Um, I'd say, uh, well, so in the pitch, we included lycanthropy, uh, which in in our world, uh, werewolves aren't creatures walking around with spears and stuff like that. They are buzzsaws. They are terrifying creatures. Uh, if someone has lycanthropy and wolves out, they completely lose track of themselves. They're essentially the Hulk. They could. I was going to say Teen Wolf, but that's dating that, that me teen, a bit. Well, well you're not going to play basketball with anybody who's uh, who's a lycanthrope, but they will kill you. So that's that's a huge thing. So when you develop lycanthropy, if you're bitten and survive, you have uh, mental stress points. Basically, think of it as a meter that ticks down. So at best you would have 20 of these points. That's if you're well-rested, you stayed in town, you're, you're, you're pretty calm. And throughout the day, 
things things happen to you. Um, you might get into a fight. You might get hurt. You might be in a stressful situation where you're arguing with party members. And the GM would say, hey, do me a favor. Um, roll a D4. And we're going to take that number and just shave it off those points. If you hit zero, you wolf out and you lose control. Uh, and each night you basically – Darkest Dungeon if you've played that game. Yes. I love Darkest Dungeon. Yes. Great yep. game. I, I talked to the guy who designed that years ago on this podcast. and Oh, really? Yeah. And I just started playing that game you know, back then and just the psychologist in me just found that whole mechanic – <laughs> like wonderful it is I, relentlessly oppressive but yes it's a good way to describe it um so i got an opportunity to talk with him about that but yeah it sounds like this idea of of madness or stress and like yeah that adventuring like this doing these these deeds and coming with these life or death situations like there's a there's a mental and emotional toll yep that that can happen so it, it's interesting that you have that as part of your mechanics that's cool well, I figured there's already something to simulate pain, and there's already something to kind of simulate how well-rested you are in terms of uh, spending hit die or something like that. Uh, I thought that that would be a neat mechanic because if you watch any Marvel movies, the whole Bruce Banner Hulk thing, it's 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 him needing to calm down. And stress can be – stress can come at you from a bunch of different ways, and I think that's interesting from DM to DM how they might interpret that. Or how a player might argue <laughs> against right. it, I guess. Yeah, I, somewhere a couple of years ago, I wrote, I had written an article about how to do that in 5th edition and mm. put together some pages and some rules. So, yeah, that, that's a really interesting concept. One thing that you had brought this up because you said there's there's so much material out there now. Yeah. That, and, and we were talking about this leading up, up to the interview. Between the Wizards of the Coast, the official content that comes out, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Salt March is getting ready to come out, and I'm still thinking, like, man, it'd be great to play Tomb of Annihilation. Or, right, like, yeah. I'm, I'm running through Tales of the Yawning Portal, and it's like, oh, now the whole new Super Adventure is coming out. Well, how am I going to find time to do that? Not to mention a lot of the third-party stuff or the indiv individuals who are out there releasing some, some really good content through DMs Guild or yep. other venues. So there, there's so much content and so little time, at least for some of us, why a little bit of a why buy our stuff yeah why <laughs> should people you know who maybe are not familiar with the podcast haven't been listening for the hundreds of episodes that you have out there like why theory you start talking about this but why uh why should folks get get involved in the book well a few reasons i would say one it's it's tested like we've done this for seven years we have we have played okay. the same campaign for, for years and years. We're not going anywhere. We, I truly believe that this is a, a it feels different than a lot of the books that get released. And we released a 63 page preview that we spent thousands of our own dollars on. We, we, we believed in this so much that we, we needed to show people, no, 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 this is what the book's going to look like. This is what we're going for. Because I think it's very easy for someone to go to Kickstarter and say, I have an idea for a thing. Trust me. <laughs> uh, we wanted to show people that we have a wealth of mechanics and, and knowledge and tools and characters. I can't think of a, uh, a setting book off the top of my head that both has 
tons of information on cities and politics and religion and all that and hundreds of NPCs built right into the book that you can just use that are that detailed. I can't think of one. I'm sure they exist because I haven't read everything. I I mean, that's kind of impossible. Like you said, just keeping up on the wizard stuff is they, they put out a new book every two, three months. It's, it's insane. But yeah, I, I, I genuinely believe that this is a place where just getting this book, you can have years of enjoyment and you could tell stories that, I I wouldn't have thought to do in a million years, and I think that's kind of the beauty of it. It's just basically handing over a book containing our brains uh, and just saying, run amok, go nuts. Yeah, and one of the thing, at least you know, my my approach to running games is it, it's nice to have some published content to mm-hmm. steal from. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. And not necessarily use it exactly as, as written. I think that's, you started talking about playing a uh, fourth edition and the, the intro adventure. Was it keep Shadowfell? Yeah. And like, taking that and then you just started tweaking it, making up stuff, probably borrowing from other things and making it your own. And I think the more resources you have to pull from, mm-hmm. whether it's movies or stories, novels, uh, campaign guides, um, you know, another campaign guide I've pulled from is Brian Patterson's Carthoon, which okay. is, is a book that's, uh, you know, got some gorgeous art and it's campaign setting. So there's a lot of things out there. But the one thing that I, that you mentioned that I, I think is quite unique is you've been doing this for a long time mm-hmm. and you have a lot, hundreds of hours of playtesting and yeah. <laughs> design philosophy if, and sort of these things going into this product. It's not just you sitting somewhere typing these things out and then trying to run a Kickstarter campaign. And there's something to be said for that too, but this, Oh, totally. This seems to have more longevity from a design perspective. Right. And I'm not, I'm not begrudging anybody that goes to Kickstarter with an idea. That's it's just for us. We know what kind of book we wanted to put out and we didn't have too many um, there weren't too many podcasts that had released their own setting book. There have been a few, but not too many. I think Cobalt Press is the big one, and I, I don't even think that's really affiliated with a podcast so much as just like Midgard and stuff like that. That's just uh, a world you could explore. And uh, we we wanted to wait at least a couple of years before we had a majority of the book written and knew what we wanted to do, had the layouts ready to go. And we wanted a majority of that heavy lifting design work done. So people didn't have to wait years for us to fulfill our promise. And so how, how can people get involved? How can they find out more about, about theory, about the book, about your podcast? Uh, well, D a and D R podcast.com. Uh, would be the easiest way. That'll link you to everything. Um, we have a banner up right now. Trust me, if you follow our Facebook or Twitter, we will not shut up about this Kickstarter uh, <laughs> until it wraps. As of right now, there's nine days left. Uh, we have hit our goal, so we're we're completely funded. So now it's just stretch goals. And we, mostly Bree, uh, came up with this wonderful budget. It is a massive spreadsheet that allowed us to meticulously budget every single detail uh, almost down to the penny uh, and then have a buffer for if something goes wrong. Uh, so each one of these stretch goals uh, are spaced out just enough that 
you know, we can afford more art. We can afford like the, the, the maps that we're putting in the in the book, they're they're seven, eight hundred dollars. So we want to make sure that we get as many of those as possible, but also still have money to print a book at the end of the day. Yeah, and the one thing as I'm scrolling through the Kickstarter page now that mm-hmm. I, I like that a lot of other Kickstarter projects I've seen, and, and maybe it's the scale of them, but some of the stretch goals are huge. It's yeah. Like, you know, if we get another $25,000, then we can do this. Yeah. The thing that I like about about this one is that it's like every $500 or so more maps or illustrations and other things are unlocked much more gradually. Well, yeah, the book is the star of the show. That's yeah. again, there's going to be right now. If we just hit our budget and didn't get any stretch goals, there's like I said, we we budgeted for 60 pieces of character art and a bunch of city art and monster art and you know all that. We budgeted. This is going to be a very pretty book, but I mean, why not add to it? Why not add more? Um, and that's that was kind of our design philosophy. If we could fit more in there, then awesome. And so it's twenty five dollars for the for the PDF and fifty dollars yep. for the hardcover. Yes. And like you said, there there seems to be a lot of detail uh, plugged in there. How, how do you have a page count of sorts of how big this is going to be? Well, we we ballpark. We, we wanted to shoot for three twenty four, three hundred twenty four pages, but we're probably going to have to shift things around design wise and maybe shrink the font a little bit because. That 63-page preview, that's about one-fifteenth of the book. Wow, okay. It's going to be a heft. It's going to be a lot of stuff to hand over to people. It is a, it it will be approaching full. like the, the D&D Art and Arcana book that you could – Oh, God. In. Yeah, that thing is like 500 pages. Um, my fiancé was kind enough to get that for me as a gift, and I, I absolutely love it. But I need to lift weights before I can really <laughs> – <laughs> yeah, that's an amazing book. I was, it's I was so beautiful. Lucky enough to interview Kyle Newman, uh, one of the authors of that book, and we, we we got to talk about that. And it's just a brilliant piece of, besides a weapon, it's just so well <laughs> done in terms of a chronicling of D and D through art and yeah. history behind it. Just if if you haven't seen that book yet, and you happen to be listening to this, definitely check it out. It's it, it's pretty it's, amazing. Gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. Um, but yeah, if if people at the very least want to check out that PDF, it's completely free. It's sitting right at the top of our Kickstarter campaign page, and yeah, that's that's. I welcome everybody to take a look at it. So, what is your favorite characteristic of Theria? Like a wrinkle that you think is a little bit different than other stuff that's out there. What what do you enjoy? about this setting uh death i think has wow that was a terrible answer it's like i like death no i <laughs> i'm just gonna stop the podcast there <laughs> i'm just gonna um, say thank you everyone for listening uh really, really appreciate it give us a review and we'll be back next week with another interview thank you very, very much um death has, Go on. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Um, resurrection in a lot of uh, D&D and RPG settings is less than permanent, I would say. And while there have been people who got pretty lucky in in this arc, there have been a couple of deaths. And, you know, so far, some resurrections, they always come at a cost. There is 
always a price. No one gets off scot-free. You do not get to um, just get back up and everything's fine. And I think our players are amazing at taking that and instead of looking at it like, oh, this ruined my character, it's a new wrinkle to fold into everything. It just gets incorporated into the character. And I'm a big fan of tables, so... Nice. <laughs> there are tables for everything. Uh, they're, they're say, gonna... Are there lots of tables in the book? Oh, God. Well, okay. Um, reworking the Rod of Wonder. I came up with a hundred things for the Rod of Wonder, and that's really fun. And that's uh, some of that's in the preview, isn't it? Oh, it's yeah, it's on the yeah, because I was paging through it the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and our uh, our buddy Jasper, uh, Jason Prementer, uh, did the layout for the book, and man, that's beautiful. I I don't like the us on the back, but. God, that's a pretty book so far. <laughs> yeah, no, the the preview that you can that you can get looks looks great. The art is really uh, enjoyable to see, very well done. It's like you said, it looks like a legit thing that you can yeah have on your shelf, and it doesn't look out of place. Nope. Um, our goal is to sell this in stores. We want to sell it on Amazon. We want to sell it. We want it to sit. We want you to be able to take this. And put it proudly next to anything else you've purchased, and it would be able to hold its own. So, when can people expect to get this if they if they back the campaign? Uh, right now, we have a uh, an estimated deadline of April 2020, but that's pretty much if everything were to go wrong, if something in shipping went wrong, if you know one of our houses burned down, that type of thing. We expect it to be out long before that but we didn't feel comfortable in promising something and then we didn't want to be one of the kickstarters that move a deadline back um which happens a lot on kickstarter i don't know if you back things on kickstarter i've i think i've backed i don't know 17 18 campaigns maybe more i've backed a, I've backed a few sure yeah i i rarely get things delivered to me <laughs> so w would it be all right if i read out a couple of these rod of wonder effects Absolutely. Go right ahead. Because I don't want to spoil anything, but like you said, it's it's in the preview. So there's a few of these I read that just laughed out loud. Um, <laughs> so one of them is uh, one party member now believes that everything is free for them. They will believe this for 1D 20 days. Which <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining walking into town and hijinks ensue, which would be hilarious. And the Rod of Wonder in our world isn't a malicious thing. It right. was uh, it was originally designed as an implement for non-magic users to wield. It was it was meant to like oh I can clean my clothes with it. It was meant to be like a, a household tool, and it just turned out wonky, so it got locked away. So it can do crazy destructive things. It could be it could be very beneficial and helpful. Most of it is just weird. Yeah. So another one. There's there's a few things about crime that that are a part of this, and one of them is the local authorities are now convinced that the caster is wanted for many, many murders. <laughs> <laughs> which, which I like that there's not one many. It's many comma many. Murders. <laughs> so there there's a story there that could that could play out. There's oh totally. Yeah. So. I, Again, that's just one of the tables that that's listed in there. Um, there's some uh, characters, some beasts that are that are shown, and the art looks fantastic. I know you talked about this in the N World interview, but the who who is the artist that's been putting all this together? Well, we have a team of artists actually. Okay. 
Um, uh, Adam Kovar has been doing our uh, Jesus. Uh, Adam Kovar has been doing uh, our NPCs so far. We have uh, it, it, we actually have everyone credited right there in the PDF at the top. Okay. Um, so we have seven or eight artists. We have uh, oh man, the the wonderful person who did our cover art. Um, it she's amazing, and I I fell in love with that cover the second uh, it it got put together. Daniel's Maps is doing uh, doing our cartography and stuff. That that has turned out gorgeous so far. So yeah, there's a lot of talented people doing this. Excellent. And so where can folks find you uh, on Twitter and are there other places where they should reach out to you? Um, we are on Facebook, uh, Dungeons and Randomness, all spelled out. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at D-A-N-D-R podcast. Again, uh, D-A-N-D-R podcast dot com. That's also our Gmail where we try to keep to that. And yeah, if you look us up, our, our Kickstarter is pretty much pinned and linked all over that stuff. And you can download yourself a copy of the uh, preview. Excellent. Well, Jason, thank you so much for your time. I want to make sure you got plenty of time to hang with your friends and ease into tonight's D&D session. Well, or, thank you very uh, much. Yeah. And uh, keep up the great work and good luck with the final days of the Kickstarter. Thank you again. Thank you for having me on. It was super kind of you. Yeah, absolutely. You're welcome. Thank you for the time. Of course. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this week's episode of Ego Check with the IDM. Special thanks to Jason for agreeing to join me. On an evening when he's running one of his games, I hope that game went very well. And I'm excited for people to take a look at the Theria campaign setting guide. Uh, just from the preview that's available online, I think it looks like a great resource for folks who are looking for ideas to run their game. Uh, the art looks great and probably going to be something that I'm backing here before the campaign ends. And I appreciate all the efforts. If you're willing to share the episode or give us a review on iTunes, that always helps to spread the word. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can reach me at the IDM on Twitter. That's T-H-E-I-D-D-M. And if you're interested in supporting the show with a little bit more fervor, that's certainly welcome as well. You can check out my Patreon page. It's www.patreon.com slash the id dm t-h-e-i-d-d-m subscribe to the feed and we'll be back with more episodes this month and throughout the rest of the year thanks mm-hmm.